Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hey, hey, it is early June. This is Dog Walk Talk. I'm Wes Blankenship, Palmer Toms, and Jake Roos on the horn with me today. And guys, it's an interesting time of year, the off season. You know, we've been through dogs off seasons where by this uh, point in time, things have gone terribly wrong. Uh, things have been, you know, depressing, dramatic. Uh, I don't think that's the case for Georgia right now. And I think we have a lot to talk about, even though that's the case. But I wrote about this yesterday, the fact that white helmets and alternate white uniforms are uh, the, the big talking point for Georgia right now is, I think that's a good thing. But uh, we can get to that and we can get to Arch Manning we should just call every episode the Arch Manning episode. But Dogs Jake, Arch Q, baby. Dogs Arch Q. <laughs> um, but I know Jake has a lot more insight about some other really freaking good talent that was on campus in Athens this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody's going to want to talk Arch uh, for sure. And, um, you know, he's uh, – well, I should say everyone's going to want to talk Arch except Arch. And so, uh, uh, you know, we, we're having a – kind of pound the ground, see what we can find out about that. I think we learned quite a bit um, about Georgia and their standing with Arch Manning this past weekend. Uh, I do think that the Bulldogs continue to be a major factor in this thing. But as I've told people, this kid's in no rush, and he doesn't have to be. It's There's no pressure from coaches. I mean, they're going to wait around uh, for Arch Manning. So 
Um, you know, we got uh, some some intel from Chad Simmons basically saying that this was a situation where they focused on the business aspect of things, you know, how they can uh, sort of get him to where he wants to be. Uh, you know, I think the idea of being close to Atlanta, um, you know, just overall kind of pitching him on things that he probably hasn't heard before. I think that Arch Manning understands that he's a talented quarterback prospect and George believes that. So, uh, you know, how do you switch it up and keep things fresh? Well, you switch over to the business side of things. And uh, I think that that was important for his family to hear. Sounds like there are still some lingering concerns out there for Manning when it comes to Georgia. However, I, I think quarterback development's one of those things. Um, Todd Munkin has obviously elevated the game of Stetson Bennett. Uh, somebody on our board mentioned Nick Mullins and Brandon Whedon as guys he'd worked with. I, I can't disagree with that, although I would say <laughs> yeah, that well, those What does that do for you? I mean, well, I mean, you know, Nick Mullins, he, he took those guys to, he took those guys probably further than they could have gone, right? But at the same time, Nick Mullins coming into high school or into college is not our spanning. Uh, Brandon Whedon was, you know, uh, had three kids and a mortgage at the, by the time he was drafted into the NFL, essentially. <laughs> I mean, he was like 28 years old. So, I mean, it's one of those things where you're dealing with a different thing here. And, um, I think the other thing that you got to remember and, and something that I think is probably on his mind as well is sort of this savior versus need for continuation of success. Um, you know, if you go to Texas and you revive that program, that's going to be pretty lucrative for you. I think Vince Young has kind of proven that, uh, you know, he, sh he showed what that can do for you and your career over the long term. And if you're a Manning, that's probably even more amplified. Um, Georgia, on the other hand, has the ball rolling, has for some time, success is there. So it's more of a situation where you could misstep or falter or, you know, do you keep them at the same level they are? You you can't really – Georgia fans aren't going to want to see a step back regardless of who's under center. So, uh, you know, there's some pressure, I think, associated with that. And, you know, do you want to come in – compete for a job right away or do you want to go into a situation like Texas where you're probably competing or probably taking a backseat to an already established guy whether that be Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers um, you know I think that all of those are major considerations like I said the reality is with Arch we're not going to learn anything I don't think until probably toward the end of the summer I think at the earliest that seems to be when he's probably thinking about commitment uh, from everything we've heard uh, he could do it tomorrow, I guess. Uh, nobody really knows what this kid's going to do, but I think Georgia's in this, and we haven't seen them wave any white flags. We haven't seen them pursue any other options, and that's really telling. I, I think that that's all you can really ask for when you're talking about the quarterback board. Um, you know, Alabama, on the other hand, took Eli Holstein, and while they're going to continue to pursue Manning and, and supposed to be holding him for an official visit, uh, that felt like a bit of a white flag uh, to me from the Crimson Tide. So uh, it's hard to read. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Um, I, like I said, I think it's down to the two options. And Georgia and Texas, I think, both have their advantages when it comes to him. It's really just going to boil down to what he and his family think is the best situation and probably the best situation to get him to where he wants to be. And I think the expectation of that is probably – probably close to where his uh his his uncle and and uh his his 
uh, well, his uncles uh, were drafted, and uh, that's you know in the in the high part of the the NFL. So it's going to be interesting. I, I like I said, I wish I had more clarity. I think everybody does, <laughs> but um, you know, it, Georgia in a good spot is what I feel, and that's all you can really ask for in a recruitment like this. Yeah, the uh, the negative aspects that you mentioned for Georgia, the downsides, those aren't really going away. Those are things that. You know, it's just that just is who Georgia is. You know, the quarterback history kind of short other than Matthew Stafford. Um, Jacob Eason couldn't really make it work here. And he came in with not quite as much acclaim as Arch Manning did, but he came here and there wasn't really a foundation. Now, I think Georgia's in a very different spot than it was when Jacob Eason came in in 2016. Um, but uh, the quarterback thing is there. And I think it's something that obviously people can used to negatively recruit against Georgia. And then the, the pressure aspect, I think there's a lot of pressure in both places. Um, but yeah, this train is rolling for Georgia and in Texas, not so much. So historically, yes, there's a lot of pressure there. There always is. Um, it's not a easy place to coach, easy place to play, uh, but the program's in a different spot. So those things aren't changing, but one thing that we did see change was Georgia's uniforms in a lot of high-profile recruiting pictures with these all-white pants. Jerseys are the same, obviously, but these helmets that have a black and red stripe, which I think is a cool uh, tip of the cap to the, the piping that goes down the pants. It's, it's a part of Georgia's brand. It's a classic look. Um, but what did you guys think about about that look? It's kind of causing a stir in the Georgia Bulldog corners of the internet. Kind of is an understatement there, I think, <laughs> because you know I, I think that most Georgia fans are shocked to see it. Uh, you know, a little concerned that they may see it on a Saturday. Um, you know, I think that that rumor has been shut down a little bit. Um, personally, I'm a fan of them. I, I do like them. I think that there is no harm in uh, going out wearing an alternate uniform for a you know big season opening kickoff type game like Oregon. Uh, you know I think it's kind of ironic that the you know that could potentially come against Oregon, a, a program that you know mixes up with their uniforms so often. Um, you know, from a perspective of you know just looking at the uniform, I think it's clean. I mean. Um, and maybe that's the you know younger side of me speaking out, and you know obviously we've got some yeah you know, Palmer's older, a child, folks. That... Jake and I are both elderly <laughs> citizens here. Exactly, exactly. But you know, I, I mean, I understand Georgia fans being hesitant to mess with tradition. I mean, you know, look, things haven't gone all too well when Georgia has worn uh, alternate uniforms. I mean. You know, you, you want to run down the history here. I mean, they, they played closer games against Cincinnati and Mississippi State than they probably should have wearing black uniforms. They played a really close game against Arkansas wearing one, uh, you know, an alternate uniform, the red pants there, uh, the throwback look. They lost to Boise State in the Power Ranger uniforms. They lost to. <laughs> I know, love that we can call the Power Ranger they, uniforms they, and everyone knows what we're talking about. And everyone they, knows they, what they it deserve is. to lose in those, man. Yeah. No question. <laughs> those, that, that's one but, of the worst. Uniforms I've ever seen. They, uh, you know, they, they lose to Alabama in, in in the blackout game. They they play, you know, they only beat. How about the Louisiana Florida Lafayette uniforms where they wore black helmets and and black pants and red and black pants. Face they masks. lose that game. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, the, the history isn't on Georgia's side with the with the alternate uniforms. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, it, it's clearly something that recruits like. That's why Georgia's got these uh, uniforms ready for recruiting. Uh, and, you know, uh, it would be interesting to see if they were to wear it. Um, you know, the, obviously with it being a white uniform, unless they go the LSU route, they're going to wear it on the road, which I wouldn't want to see it, you know, wouldn't want to mess with that in a, in a you know, hostile road environment in the sec uh you know georgia's road games this year are all in the sec um so i I guess if you were going to try and wear it this year you got to try and do it in that week one um otherwise you're going to be messing with uh with an sec opponent in in these brand new white uniforms so yeah i mean georgia won the natty without doing an alternate uniform at all so if kirby smart isn't a huge fan of that distraction element i mean i think the first year they wore black jerseys in his first season was against like Louisiana Lafayette like he, he wasn't playing around and they only won by 14 <laughs> yeah I mean he wasn't playing around so um yeah I, I think I Kirby's them. justified I love them I, I think I think they're cool I think I think it's so unfortunate that Georgia doesn't do more of this because I think that they've got such a great colorway to do it with I think that all those combinations look good to me. I personally, my favorite is probably those Florida uniforms with the black helmets. I, I thought that that was just a, a clean, clean look. I think the whites look good. I think an all black would look amazing. I mean, if you did black pants, black jerseys, black helmets, that would be a, a nice nod to uh, the Falcons as well. So. Uh, not that, that you want to acknowledge the Falcons or be anything like them, but if you were to, pin, I think if you were to pin Kirby Smart down at the end of the day, this sort of thing—he's superstitious. Should be, I know that he is. I know, but but at the end of the day, it's like, come on, man, go out there and play naked. We should still be able to beat these guys. I mean, I think that that's the mentality that he comes from. You know, I mean. It shouldn't matter about what's in your back. I, I get it. I mean, people uh, love the tradition. They think it's classic. I think it's a shame, personally, that we that we don't see it more. Because, like I said, I, I really love Georgia's color combinations and the abilities to do it. I think it looks clean with all the looks. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I understand the connection that people feel to have it every single week. You know, I understand doing it the majority of the time. That's your look, that's what you look like. But, you know, Oregon does some cool stuff. Um, you know, I, 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 Chad Simmons texted us uh, earlier this week and, and uh, I was making a reference to this and he said, why does Georgia do this? Like, why does Georgia only take recruiting photos in jerseys they're never going to wear? Why do these white helmets exist? I mean, what, what is the purpose because, of this? Because if of not social for- media. It's all social media. Yeah, right. It's like everything I mean, in our because society. Because they want people talking about it like we are. Yep, and it's the recruits ridiculous. share it, I... and and they like it. And, you know, Antoine Jackson got to share the first one, the first look at it, and, you know, that's that's how it goes. He gets all the you... the likes. He gets the, uh, the clout. I mean, it's for the kids. They do it for the kids. <laughs> Teenagers yeah, the kids, control the kids, this the entire industry, you know? <laughs> And that's what it's all about. You get to do it one time. Hope you enjoy. Hope you enjoyed your recruiting visit. Now put that <gasps> away and let's put on the red jerseys. I mean, like, so, let's go. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Chip Towers, the AJC, with some hard hitting journalism, uh, digging into this and unveiling that Georgia does not plan to wear them in a game. Per report, 
So we'll see about that. But to my point earlier, if that's what Chip Towers and the AJC and all of these other Georgia sites are writing about and answering questions about, that's a net positive for Georgia, um, in my opinion. When I first saw the white helmets and the white look, I thought it was like a high school uniform. And that's not a dig at the the equipment <laughs> staff or anything. And I just couldn't couldn't get that out of my head. It's like the first time I drank a Bloody Mary, it tasted like tomato soup. And I've never been able to untaste that. And that's just kind of the deal with these uniforms. I don't hate them. They look cool. I like to stripe the most. I want to see a throwback to the silver helmet era, which was a short one. Um, and not the Power Ranger silver helmets, but just a, an actual silver helmet, black jersey look, almost like the Raiders, but with, with like a red G. I, I can throw out those ideas all day. I don't think that they'll go for them. Uh, but there's a lot of money in that. And if the player, you know, the people that really want to do this would be the players because there's NIL money in it if they have their jerseys sold in the bookstore with their names on the back. And there's alternate looks. I would think that there's a market for that. So maybe they can get in Kirby Smart's ear the next time they have a photo shoot and uh, request that they wear these in an actual game. Uh, let's take a quick break. On the other side of this, I want to talk to Palmer about uh, the, the other offseason hot-button issue, ranking coaches. It's a very strange phenomenon, but it is very real. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right, so uh, Palmer, you wrote the other day about Kirby Smart and his ranking as it relates to Dabo Swinney. Uh, if you're on social media at all, if you listen to sports talk radio at all, it's kind of like the Mount Rushmore debate in sports. This time of year, in a very long offseason in college football, we have to talk about our ranking of college football coaches, and everyone knows who number one is. It's more of a jockeying, hot take justification for who follows Nick Saban. Um, and the other day on the Paul Feinbaum show, uh, Feinbaum had on, uh, who is it, Bender? Who, who does he write for? Bill, Bill Bender, Bender for uh, Sporting, Sporting News. News. And he was making the case that Dabo is still ranked ahead of Kirby in his mind. Um, Palmer? Why is Kirby better than Dabo, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and and Paul agreed with, uh, you know, I, I agree with Paul here on this take. Rare uh, that that might be the case. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that the three-year records speak for themselves. Uh, you know, these two programs, Georgia and Clemson, uh, have the same amount of wins, but Georgia has less losses. Um Bulldogs, you know, over the last – both teams have a, a one-win season in there, but Georgia's ended with a national championship win. Clemson's ended with a loss to LSU in the Superdome. Uh, you know, they both have a two-loss season in there in 2020. Uh, and, and granted, Clemson's two losses were both to college football playoff opponents. They lost to Notre Dame in the regular season. Irish go on to make the playoffs uh, and, and lose to Alabama. And then Clemson, on the other side of things, loses to Ohio State in the semifinals. So there's their two losses. Georgia's two losses that season were to Alabama, first of all, on the road, you know, national champion, eventual national champion, 
Uh, Georgia was leading that game at halftime. So, um, tough loss, but, you know, to a pr- pretty dang good team. Uh, and, and Florida, who went on to go play for the ICC championship, gave Alabama probably their best game all season. Uh, and, and, you know, had it not been for Marco Wilson throwing a shoe, uh, the, the conversation around Florida that season could be very different. Um, so, you know, the, to me, I think that that season is probably a wash. Uh, you know, the, the advantage for Kirby comes in the fact that, A, he hasn't lost three games in a season during that span, uh, and, and B, that his one-loss season ended with a national championship. Um, you know, furthermore, I think that the head-to-head, uh, you know, you, you got to see these two coaches go head-to-head, uh, square off for the first time this past season, and we saw the way that that went. Smart's defense dominated, uh, you know, Clemson's five-star quarterback, seven sacks. The, the Tigers don't get in the end zone um, at all. I, I think it was a very dominant game. Uh, I think Kirby has done a really good job of adapting with the times of college football. As, as we all know, things are changing very quickly, uh, you know, from the transfer portal to NIL uh, to, you know, the world of recruiting just in general, um, even the traditional high school recruiting um, is untraditional in, in these days. Uh, and, and Kirby's done a great job of adapting to it. He's used the transfer portal when he needs to, um, but he hasn't relied upon it. Um, you know, even taking a former Clemson player to help build his record-breaking defense. <coughs> um, you choked up just thinking you know, you, about you've it. You've got uh, – <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, that that defense, man. <laughs> wow. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Kirby has done a really good job of adapting with the times of college football. Um, you know, like I said, transfer portal, um, you know, is, is – Working with NIL knows that it's a priority in in some of these kids' minds, uh, but doesn't want to make it a priority for his program in terms of, uh, you know, what what Georgia stands for. Um, And and obviously that's showing up in the recruiting world as well uh, with the dogs dominating there year after year after year. You say that he's keeping up with the times, and I think that he's done a good job of that by surrounding himself with younger guys. Um, you know, I think Fran Brown, Shadero Uzo Duribe, uh, Trey Scott, Glenn Schumann. I mean, these are guys that, you know, we hear consistently recruits say, hey, you know, those guys are able to connect with me. We're talking music. We're talking whatever. I think that that's helped him keep up with the times of college football. He's not surrounding himself as people do, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's definitely one strategy, but with, you know, experienced guys, guys who've been around the game for, you know, 20, 30 years, um, he's taken younger guys, helping elevate their careers, but I think that's also sort of grounding him back into what's important for some of these young guys as well. I think the problem with these lists is that there's not enough context. Um, social media, big shocker there. But you look at these lists, and it doesn't say – you know, best legacy, best all time, or it doesn't say best right now, you know? And I think those are two very distinct arguments. And Palmer, if we're talking best right now, then there's no question that Kirby's better than Dabo. Dabo has more national championships. So in a vacuum, best all time right now, Dabo has the leg up. 
but the head-to-head deal is what kind of seals it for me, and I love the three-year argument um, because that shows the trajectory. And you know, I, I wrote about this the same day you did. You know, the fact that these lists and, and the uniforms and all this stuff is a big deal uh, just shows you that we're in the off season. Um, but it also, I think, points to you know where where Kirby's headed and where Georgia's headed. And I think the best indicator of any kind of coaching list is the recruiting classes. And uh, Jake, you nailed it. Like Kirby is surrounding himself with energy and young guys. And for so long, that's what I felt like Clemson was branding itself as the fun place. You know, we're the anti-Alabama, we're the anti-process. We have a slide in our facility. You know, but Dabo surrounding himself with kind of the anti-Georgia. And that's not a good thing. And recruits are responding to that. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like Dabo's sort of like turned curmudgeon real fast. Like he's he's becoming it, the old weird. man yelling it's at It's weird. Like it's not what yeah. his formula was. He was the fun guy, and now he's he is. He's right. like no. he's like get off my lawn, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and and even more so it seems than like the Nick Saban who has, I mean, you would expect to be sort of the old head, the guy leading the way and saying, no, this is not the way, you know, this is, I mean, and he's made references to this, but I feel like Dabo's sort of like taking it on as across the bear of like, you know, this isn't how we're going to do things here. And I I think that, I think rightfully so uh, also Kirby has been very smart and very calculated to stand on the sidelines on a lot of this stuff. Talk, let's talk about it with kids on an individual basis. We'll figure it out. Let's not sort this out in the media where people can construe what I'm saying in any way that they want, frame my narrative. We'll talk NIL. Uh, NIL is a part of what we do, but he hasn't allowed it to spill over and become a big focus of Georgia's public brand. Um, and, and they're handling it in the house. I think that's really smart on his part um, as compared to a lot of these guys. Because like I said, I, I think Dabo, whatever his message is, it's getting bent into a lot of different ways. And the public perception is what it is about how he feels about um, you know NIL and the direction of the game. Absolutely. Um, all right, guys, before we wrap up here, uh, we've got a series going on over at Dogs HQ. Um, our countdown to kickoff, everyone does it. We're doing ours a little bit different. Um, we're not just relying on jersey numbers all the time, although there is a lot of that. Um, I think we're – I'm going to pat ourselves on the back here. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a different approach in some of these pieces um, to really dig into some numbers that show up in Georgia football stats or in Georgia football history. And I think we've, you know, dug up some pretty interesting facts and some pretty interesting trivia that – uh, the average Georgia fan may know, but I feel like it's educational and also entertaining. So wh- what's been for you guys, we've all done a handful of these now, what's been the most fun uh, countdown piece or uh, educational for you or, or the one that you kind of enjoyed working on the most so far? Yeah, I'll, I'll get us started here. Um, I, you know, obviously um, – you know, I, I think some of them, in the ones that I've done, have been very jersey number oriented. Um, you know, for me, covering Jordan Davis over the last four years, covering Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, you know, for the first two years of uh, last two years of his Georgia career, the first two years of mine, 
Um, those have been really fun to kind of look back on, um, you know, some of those memories. Um, so that was 99 and 98. Um, but I also, like you said, have really enjoyed uh, some of the different spins that we've put on things. Um, you know, the, the 92, um, you know, looking into the start of Georgia football, Charles Hurdy, um, you know, it, it, 1892. And, and so, um, you know, that was a really fun one to do, required a little bit of more research. Uh, you know, maybe there's not necessarily as, as great as stats out there from Georgia's 50 to nothing beat down a Mercer uh, as, as there are from the national championship. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I thought that was a really fun one to do. Um, today's 86 uh, wrote that one as well and uh, took, took the perspective of John Fitzpatrick was uh, war number 86 at Georgia, but was the uh, record breaker for Georgia in the, in the 2022 NFL draft. Uh, put, put the Bulldogs over the edge um, with 15 draft picks and, and kind of said that, you know, I, I think this is something that we talked about on here, talked about in private, and, and that everything was going to have to go right for Georgia uh, to break that record. Uh, you know, even to tie it in a way. Uh, we thought that, that a lot of things were going to have to go, um, you know, the, the right way, and, and they did. I mean, it, it's special to look back on that, that draft class, uh, special to look back on what they did at Georgia, and uh, Old Fitz was a big part of that at, at number 86. Yeah, I, you know, for me it was probably 97, which was the UGA making the cover of Sports Illustrated piece that I, I did and you know, I personally, for me, that was just one that, that stood out because I remember that so vividly from being a kid and, and like what a big deal that was that Ugga was named the greatest mascot in, in all of college sports. And, you know, it's interesting to look back, I think, on the trajectory of Georgia because it feel like it felt like a lot of things started to change for Georgia around that time. I mean, you started to see an elevation of uh, NFL talent, uh, an influx, you know, under Jim Donnan in those years. Um you know, soon thereafter, you get Mark Richt and his uh, early success and the SEC championships and competing, you know, year in and year out. And then obviously it leads into Kirby. You know, that one felt like a, a sort of a turning point for Georgia uh, from a public perspective. And I, th I thought that that was kind of cool to reach back into the vault. I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do with that number. Um, but, you know, because I, I didn't want to do just a player, but uh, it was it was kind of neat to reach back into 97 and see, you know, this is. Uh, like I said, what I think was a, a year where a lot of things from a public eye start, started to change around Georgia. Yeah, 97 was a huge year. Um, it's I think it's interesting because, you know, we kind of decide each day, you know, or a couple days out, like who's got the countdown for the next few days, who's going to do it. And I think we each have different ideas on, on what they could be. And I think that's what makes it fun because um, I like seeing what you guys come up with. Uh, for 95, I wrote about, you know, driving down I-95 to Georgia, Florida. Always love writing about that. Um, but the one that kind of taught me the most or that I found an interesting stat was for 94. And in Kirby Smart's career at Georgia, his two interception return yard leaders both have 94 yards. And it was Chris Smith um, this past season. He had 94, and obviously he had a big chunk of that against Clemson with the pick six, and uh, Keely Ringo wasn't too far behind him. Um, but the year before that as well, uh, Eric Stokes had 94 yards, and that's like 
it's just weird that that number keeps showing up for Georgia. So I kind of pontificated, wondered, you know, will that record be broken? Will, will Georgia's interception return yards leader have more than 94 yards? Will it be Keely Ringo? Will it be Chris Smith again? And with the secondary having to step up, presumably a lot this season with so much on the front seven being replaced. Um, if that happens for Georgia, uh, I feel like it could be a very good sign. So pretty cool series. Uh, appreciate y'all reading it and checking it out. And um, other big stories from the week as we. Hey, Wes, I, Wes, Wes, I can only imagine the rabbit hole you had to go down to find. So what that I did. Stat. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> I, I went in the because I was looking at the numbers. There hasn't really been like no offense to the number 94 guys that have played at Georgia, but there wasn't, you know, there wasn't like a Richard Seymour 93, you know, so. I had to look at a stat in 1994 football season, not not the greatest. So I went and found uh, the stat, and I figured, well, what's a stat that's going to be in the 90s? It's either going to be longest play. That's what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like longest yard gain from scrimmage, longest touchdown, but there, there wasn't one. Um, so it was interception return yards, really random stat, but – you got to make it work. <laughs> like, I, like I've said a couple times, <laughs> peak off-season content right now. But, uh, but we're making it work. Um, so other big stories from this week, uh, Garrison Hurst and Mark Richt in the College Football Hall of Fame ballot. I think Mark Richt has a really great shot to be a first ballot guy. Garrison Hurst has a little bit more competition than I think people might think to be a first ballot guy because you know Tim Tebow's on the list. Reggie Bush, you know, there are there are running backs on the ballot that had more yards and touchdowns than Hurst did. I feel like the context of when he left Georgia, he was second only to Herschel in Georgia's rushing stats. I mean, if you know Georgia football history and college football history, I feel like that should help Garrison Hurst out. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't go on the first ballot. It's just it's so loaded. I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in a, a bigger class. You know, I've seen classes that are, you know, down in the teens, closer to 10, and this most recent one was, like, close to 20. So, I don't know how those guys well, do it. And don't forget don't forget another guy close to George's heart on that list, Paul Johnson, uh, probably, I think, due up for uh, uh, his induction as well. I, yeah. I, think he, I think he's got a really good shot, too, I, and deservedly so. I think he does, too. Um probably pains a lot of Georgia fans to hear that on this show, but objectively <laughs> speaking, um, I think he does. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the big, big takeaways from this week in Georgia football. Um, I want to leave you guys with one question here from our board, from uh, our dogs HQ message board. If you're only listening to this show as a freebie, uh, you're certainly more than welcome to continue listening but you can also try out dogs hq for free for seven days definitely invite you to do that but one of our subscribers asked a pretty interesting question uh dealing with georgia's recent history this is from uga03 maine the question on the dog walk message board better hire for kirby sam Pittman, or will muschamp and it made me think and I said that my head tells me Will Muschamp because Georgia cashed that higher into a national championship. They did not cash in Sam Pittman 
directly into a national championship. You could argue that he laid a foundation that set Georgia on the right trajectory. But my heart tells me Sam Pittman, um, just because he's a big personality guy, head coach now. Uh, that's a lot of fun to talk to, a lot of fun to hear from. And so I, I think I'm going with Sam Pittman for that reason and because he was one of Kirby's first hires and really necessary to get his career off to the right start. But I'm curious to hear what y'all think about that question. Pittman for me, man. No, no, no doubt. Yeah, I would probably it. go with. I, I think I think it's Pittman. Yeah, no. I'd, I'd probably go with Pittman too. I mean, as much I, as Will listen, Muschamp Will's, did. Will's important. Yeah. Will's important and Kirby. But the thing about it is, Kirby's a defense first guy. Georgia's got a bit of a reputation in the defensive backfield. They really had sort of struggled, I think, in in the last few years under Rick to, at the offensive line spots. Um, you know, they even the guys that were supposed to be great, John Theus, uh, you know, were, were were not getting where they wanted to go. And uh, I, I think that reworking those trenches was something Kirby mentioned in that opening press conference, something I'll never forget him mentioning in that opening press conference. And uh, Sam Pittman did it, man. And guys, we talk to now, offensive linemen, they mention all the time, Georgia's sending those guys in the first round. A lot of that's due to Sam Pittman, and a lot of the brand change uh, happened under him. So, uh, you know, I love Will Muschamp. I think he's an ace recruiter, uh, big personality, great guy to uh, to cover and to, to have your kids recruited by. But uh, for me, it's Pitt. What, what might be a better question here, since since we're all on the side of Pitt, you know, for for those reasons that's, that both of y'all have said, who's the bigger hire for Georgia, Todd Munkin or Will Muschamp? Mm. I, I mean, I'd ooh, probably go yeah, Munkin. I hate to, but for, for a lot of those same reasons that that we said, you know, that, that Kirby's a defensive guy, that he's really got that side of the ball handled. Uh, you know, for Kirby to, you know, t- take the, you know, take a little bit of his hands off of the offense uh, and, and bring in an offensive mind, um, you know, like, like Todd Munkin that spent time in the NFL, that spent time as a head coach in college football, uh, you know, th- that has opened things up for Georgia. Um, you know, it, it may not look like it, but they have been more explosive. They have been uh, higher scoring. Um, you know, I, I think all of that is – you know, part of what we talked about earlier that Kirby has adapted to the times of college football um, very well, and and I think a big part of you know doing that recently has been bringing in Todd Munkin. Hard to argue that. Palmer, give us your uh, recap on the demise of the 2021-2022 Georgia baseball season. Yeah, uh, tough, tough ending to the season for Georgia there up in Chapel Hill. Um, I was among few uh, Georgia folk up there, um, but it, it was a fun weekend nonetheless. Um, you know, dogs fought hard. Um, you know, they, they didn't play super well Friday night against VCU. Um, VCU had come in having won 15 in a row, and, and their bats were hot. Um, you know, they, they, they just put the ball where Georgia wasn't. Georgia hit the ball hard, and it was right where VCU was. Um, you know, I, I think that's just kind of how baseball goes sometime. Uh, and, and it's a shame that Georgia, uh, you know, 
caught VCU on a night like that with their ace starting pitcher on the mound. Uh, didn't have him for some bigger games that they played later in the weekend. Uh, but they rebound with a huge performance on Saturday, uh, putting up, I believe it was 24 runs. Um, Should have saved a few. Admittedly, left a little early from that one. <laughs> Should have saved a few. Um, but, you know, a big inning there. Uh, you know, I believe it was, it was early in that game, put up 13. Um, and, you know, just absolutely demolished Hofstra. Um, and, and then obviously the, the comeback, furious comeback against UNC in the losers bracket game on Sunday, uh, you know, down six to two entering the, uh, you know, ninth inning, uh, bottom of the ninth, Georgia was the home team playing against North Carolina at North Carolina. Interestingly enough, uh, got that by way of a coin flip. Uh, dogs had a three run home run to make it six, five and man, they were close to tying that game up with, with a shot out to center field, deepest part of the ballpark, uh, for Josh McAllister. Uh, but freshman center fielder Vance Honeycutt brought that ball back into the ballpark, uh, and made an absolutely spectacular If that's not a Southern baseball name, up. I don't it, know it what it is. It felt like... <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it felt like if Georgia could get that game to extra innings that they would have had all the momentum there uh, to, to take it then. Um, but, you know, that, that, that was second out of the last inning uh, and, and an absolutely tough blow. But as, as head coach Scott Strickland pointed out after the game, uh, you know, he, he just kept thinking about how some of those guys were going to go out. Some of these, you know, had the heart of the order up, and, and it was a lot of veteran guys. Um, and so he wanted to see that how they would, you know, fight, how they would respond, how they would go out, uh, you know, if that was going to be them going out. And it was, uh, but they certainly went down fighting uh, Cole Tate, Connor Tate, Chaney Rogers, uh, Josh McAllister there. Um, man, they put up a really good fight, uh, you know. And so, you know, tough way for that season to end, really disappointing. Uh, to you know, look, seem like you've got the game tied up, all, feel like you, that ball's getting out, and to see uh, a freshman make that kind of play. Um, and, but I think that you know, for Georgia uh, baseball, there's there's some regrouping that needs to be done. Um, you know, they, they, they've got to reassess things. Um, you know, because ultimately this this is a program that should be very competitive. Um, you know, that should be uh, near the top of the country, given the fact that they have such a great recruiting ground in Atlanta, um, that they've got to get the resources, um, you know, in, in terms of facilities, they're making steps in the right direction with that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the trajectory of this program over the next couple of years. Uh, but, you know, dogs have not advanced in the NCAA tournament since 2008 now. Uh, and so that, that feels a little bit too long for a program uh, that should have a little bit more success. Um, Jake, well said, Palmer. A, a lot to be done. And um, I'm pulling for Strick. I know fans are getting antsy. Um, and I, I think that he knows what this program needs. Uh, but he's got to deliver, right? And, and it's not getting any easier in the SEC. Uh, Jake, hit us up with an OV list. Who's going to be on campus for Athens in Athens this weekend? Yeah, another big one, man. Um, they led uh, they led last week, like I said, with Arch Manning. Jalen Hill was on campus. Justice Haynes was on campus. Chris Peel, 
TJ Shanahan, list went on and on last week. This week, a little bit more interesting, uh, I think. Um, I, I wrote a piece earlier this week about, uh, I think the most important official visitor this weekend is already committed to the dogs, and that's Raquez McElderry out of uh, Anniston, Alabama. He's uh, a, just a stud of an offensive guard. I think that he's a keystone for the class and a guy that they really need to pour in because Alabama and Auburn are making this a mm. tough one to uh, keep him uh, out of the Yellowhammer State. Outside of him, uh, uh, Tyler Williams will be on campus. That's going to be a big one for Georgia. He's a top 100 player in the nation by on three. Uh, number 55 overall, if I'm not mistaken. One of the top receivers in this class. And Georgia certainly needs to you know, restock that room with some, some difference makers and get some guys in, some young blood that uh, can really elevate this offense even further. Um, you know, I think uh, from the defensive side, Jamal Jarrett's a guy that you got to be watching, the big uh, defensive tackle out of the Charlotte area. And then um, you look at Troy Bowles, um, you know, the, the son of Todd Bowles, um, one of the top linebackers in America. Ohio State seems like they're surging. Can Georgia kind of uh, get this thing back under the reins and, uh, and make themselves the big factor here? But we got it all covered over at Dogs HQ, so make sure you get over there and check it all out. Uh, we hammered last weekend, um, you know, just wire to wire on, on all that. Chad Simmons with some amazing uh, uh, recaps. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get Chad on here well. soon. Uh, so, uh, we need to hear from him again. Yep, for sure. Uh, but plenty of stuff uh, definitely to uh, to get to for this weekend as well. So uh, just because Arch <laughs> isn't there doesn't mean uh, the light uh, yeah. or any dimmer. So uh, get over no and, doubt. and check no it out. No doubt about that. Uh, thank you, Jake. Thank you, Palmer. Um, once again, if you aren't signed up to Dogs HQ, uh, give us a shot. Seven days for free. Uh, a lot more where this came from over behind our premium paywall. Um, certainly love to have you. Say hello on the message board if you do. Um, for Palmer and Jake, I am Wes. And one more shout-out to Jack Bowerly, hanging it up after uh, just a wonderful career at Georgia. 1971 is when he started swimming. 50 years of being a dog. I mean, there aren't a lot of guys or, or female coaches that have that on their resume or their involvement with the campus in general. I mean, that is just impressive. Uh, you, you really can't understate it. Great guy, and uh, he's earned his retirement. So uh, thanks for all you did around town and on the campus of UGA, Coach Bowerly. Very special dog. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, y'all. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets.
Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.